welcome you this morning to the Lord's house today. We have all heard much over the past week and so about the devastation that has taken place in Turkey with that tremendous earthquake. The death toll is immense and rising. One of the issues that have come out of that is that the government of Turkey is investigating the contractors that were responsible for many of the buildings that were put up because they were to a lower standard and not able to stand or withstand the elements of an earthquake. One man was arrested as he was trying to leave the country at the airport, one of the builder contractors, and it emphasizes to us again the great importance of a foundation that has to be built for any building to stand or endure the elements of nature, the difficulties of cataclysmic events like an earthquake. This building, built in 1994, opened at that time. The excavation that had to take place to go down many feet to lay the footings cemented in, reinforced with steel bars. All of those things are essential if this building will stand. And it's not unlike any other building that is going to stand and endure the test of time. Well, the opening hymn we have this morning, number 221, it speaks about the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. And friend, today, if you are a true follower of Christ, if you are born again by His Spirit, then your soul in life is built upon a foundation that will endure the test of time and eternity. But dear friend, if you're not a believer today, then your soul is resting on shifting sand, an unstable foundation. And when the storm of judgment comes, your house will fall, your soul will not endure. And how vital it is then to be sure in your heart that you know you are standing on Christ, the solid ground. Let's turn, please, to this hymn, 221, and we will stand to sing and rejoice in the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is the great foundation of His church. Let's sing to His praise.
verse number four. The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale, well, that's not a bucket. That's just another expression for a grouping of people, a gathering together. And it's speaking about heresies, false teachers, hypocrites, those that are in the visible church of Christ with an intention of overturning, disrupting, trying to attack the foundation. Well, the Lord tells us and warns us this is the case and it will be the case until Christ comes back again to this world. But the great hope that we have is that no matter what happens in this end, we know that our Savior has prayed for us. He is praying today for His church and He will continue to do that until everyone, every last believer is brought safely into the kingdom. Let's sing, please, verses 5 and 6. Let's bow, please, before the Lord now in prayer and bring our service to Him. Our loving Father, we thank Thee this morning for the joy and the blessing of being gathered in the place of prayer and worship. And dear Father, we come at the very commencement of our time of worship. We might know the help of the Holy Spirit in every part of our meeting, coming, Lord, to give us joy in the Spirit as we are entered into the house of prayer, helping us in our song of worship, enabling us as we pray, Lord, publicly and in the heart, as we read Your holy and precious Word, And Lord, as we look into that truth, there might be instruction for us, correction where necessary, direction in the way we are to go. And Father, the 
conviction to stand firmly upon Your holy truth that we might be a faithful people, light in this world, salt to preserve and savor. And Lord, that as people would look upon our lives, they would be an honest reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Father, help us today. We stand in need of fresh grace, a fresh supplies of Your mercy and love and kindness. And dear Father, as we present ourselves this morning and we give our lives for the service of the Master, now in this hour that we have together, that it will be a sanctified time. It will be a solemn time. A time where we experience the presence and fellowship of our God with us. And that, Lord, we would be changed men and women. That we would be more conformed to our Lord Jesus Christ as a result of our gathering here this morning. Lord, we are not asking too much. We are asking exactly what we are told in the Scriptures. And as we pray in the will of our God, we are assured, Father, of the answers to those prayers. Come, therefore, and comfort every believing heart. Some, Lord, may be weighed down. Some may be grieved. Some may be troubled with trial. Others rejoicing, filled with thanksgiving for blessings and mercies, answers to prayer. Lord, whatever the case may be, help us to be united in our praise and to bring our thanksgiving and our worship to our God today. We are thankful, Lord, this morning for giving safety and birth to our sister Teresa. We pray that You would bless her and the little one, the brother Adrian, that You would comfort them and encourage their hearts this time. Remember others, Lord, who are grieving the loss of loved ones, and we just pray for those very sick of our number, that Your hand will be upon them to bless them and to help them. Some are struggling with old age. Some, Lord, with problems of employment or the need of employment. And we ask that all of those needs would be supplied for the glory of Your holy name. Father, hear our prayers today. Receive our thanksgiving. We ask for Your blessing upon our local congregations. We pray for the work in Port Hope and Brother Cranston that Your hand will be upon him. Pray that Brother Simon today would know a blessing. Brother Gallagher, rather, as he preaches there, that you would undertake for him. We ask, dear Father, that you would encourage Brother Simon as he would take the services for Cloverdale via Zoom a little bit later on. Lord, bless our work in Barrie. Remember the work in Fredericton. And we pray for Brother Diderno as he ministers there for the next three Lord's Days. May He know the power and the help of the Spirit 
that you would encourage his heart and bless the believers gathered around that time and place. And our Father, we ask for blessing to be poured out upon our churches and our nation. In the United States, our missionaries, bless all of these ones who are endeavoring to be faithful to the cause of Christ. And dear Father, we know that there are others not of our stripe, but they are followers of Jesus. They love the Word of God and they want to be true to the gospel message. Bless them, Lord, abundantly. Cause there to be a breaking out on the right hand and the left in our nation. We pray the gospel would go forward powerfully from our cities and towns and villages. Dear Lord, we pray that you would overturn evil men that have wicked agendas and cause and give to us those that fear the name of the Lord in places of authority in our land. Lord, hear our prayers. Pour out your Spirit abundantly. Lord, graciously revive our hearts and draw us ever nearer and nearer to our Lord Jesus Christ. For these things we ask today in our Savior's precious and holy name. Amen. Let's sing again to the Lord's praise, Psalm 143. We'll stand to sing. Now let's turn, please, in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. Verses 1 to 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, 
beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But in every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended in is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Very practical words and admonitions. The Lord speaking through His servant, the Apostle Paul. Well, he was speaking about the unity that there is in the body of Christ among the Lord's people and how that it is a responsibility that we all have to maintain that unity and indeed to strive to keep it. There is often striving in the work of God among churches, but it's the wrong type of striving. It's the carnal, the fleshly, the ungodly striving. Well, that's not what we're called to do, but we are to endeavor to work, to make every effort to keep the unity that the Lord has given to us in the bond of peace and that unity that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless His Word, and you will see how this portion of Scripture ties in with the message that I want to bring you a little bit later on. Well, a warm word of welcome to everyone. We are glad that you're here this morning in the house of God. 
We're thankful to hear good reports of the ministry of Brother Gallagher last Lord's Day morning, and uh, that was an encouragement. I want to thank you for your prayers for me while I was over in Cloverdale, British Columbia. We had a very good weekend of meetings, and uh, it was a busy time, but it was a blessed time, and I'm thankful to the Lord, and I felt the weight of your prayers for me and for the congregation, and uh, the outcome of the vote that we had on the Lord's Day evening was favorable to extend a vote uh, to Reverend Andrew Fitton, who is a man who lives, resides in Calgary, Alberta at this time, and so that call has been extended to him, and now what has to happen is that it goes through the various steps of our presbyteries, and because Brother Andrew Fitton is a member of the Ulster Presbytery, well, officially, that call will go to them first of all, and they will present it to him. These are important steps, and then when that is cleared, and I don't foresee any difficulty there, then it will come to our North American Presbytery, and we will look forward to presenting that call to our brother. And then he has a period of time in which he will be able to prayerfully consider whether he will accept that uh, or see as the Lord's will in his life. So do remember our brother Fitton in your prayers, and uh, they would be encouraged. I know the folks in Cloverdale were very thankful for the outcome of that election. Also, I had a great opportunity of visiting with Steve and Carol Kelly. I believe our brother may be watching online today, and so we extend to him greetings this morning from our congregation here. We mentioned that on Thursday, pardon me, Wednesday night at our prayer meeting, Brother Kelly was able to join in at the end of the meeting, and it was great. They want to extend their um, thanksgiving to you, their greetings to everyone in the church, and how much they miss all of you in the Lord. They had to move out to British Columbia to be with their daughter and family for health reasons just some time ago. As a congregation, we want to extend congratulations to our sister Thelma and, pardon me, Teresa and her husband Adrian in the birth of their first child, little boy, this past Monday. And he is in good health, and we want to pray for Augustus, that the Lord's hand would be upon him, and he would know the blessing of the Lord, and certainly to bless their family as well. Also, it's a special day. Yesterday was Mrs. DeGroote's 90th birthday yesterday. And so our dear sister, I believe you're watching online today, and we want to extend to you our warm greetings and trust the Lord would bless you. Mrs. DeGroot not able to get out to the services anymore, but watches online. And so we want to wish you all the best in the Lord and trust He will continue to bless you. Remember Brother DiDerno, Frank DiDerno, is in Fredericton this Lord's Day and will be there for the next three Sundays, and he is down there to preach the Word. So we pray for him, and the Lord would bless him and direct him in his own ministry. Yesterday we had our family skate at the Canlan Skating Arena, and it was a very good time of fellowship. There were some brave folks that had never strapped on the skates before, and uh, they put them on and did a very good job and made a good effort to get out there and uh, we commend them very much. And the rest of us might have some stiff and sore muscles for muscles we haven't been using for a little while, but it was a very good time of fellowship. 
and hopefully we'll be able to do that again. Came back to the church here for some pizza, fellowship, and lunch afterward. So thanks to everyone who took part in that and those who organized it as well. It was a good time together. Please remember the services today. 5.50 our prayer time before the evening service. And I trust to be back to bring you the word of the Lord tonight. And then Wednesday evening our prayer meeting and Bible study at 7.30. And then the gym fellowship on Friday night from 6 to 9. Do you remember our brother Kingsley Jew? He is still not able to be out to the services, still recovering at home from medical procedure, so that the Lord would keep his hand upon him and bless him. And also I'd like you to remember our sister Thelma Watson. Thelma is not well at this point. Uh, she is coming near the edge, it seems. I was with her and the family this past week and we had an opportunity visiting. She was, uh, well, very sleepy, not very conscious, but she was able to open her eyes a little bit, and she recognized that I was there, and a big smile on her face. So we had a good time of fellowship and just praying for her. So do remember Thelma and her son Richard and the rest of their family at this particular time. I want to leave you an advance announcement. It has to do with the month of May as we are looking forward to holding our presbytery and prayer times here in Toronto for all our North American ministers and elders. And we're looking forward again to a time in the providence of God when it will be a blessing as we gather to seek the Lord in prayer and take care of the business for our North American churches. And uh, so please be remembering that. It'll be the second full week of May. And we'll be looking for some helpers and some volunteers uh, to aid in that week. And also, please, very much your praying along that line. As we give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord, the plate is on the table at the back. There are envelopes there. And as we give our tithes and offerings, it is worship unto the Lord. It is thanksgiving to God for what He has given to us. And we give to the Lord joyfully. We give to Him with a cheerful heart. And sometimes you might think to yourself, I don't have much to give. But you know what? It's not the amount that is mattering here. The Lord looks upon the heart and He sees that as we give to Him from the means that we have, He is honored and He is glorified. And so for the members and regular attenders of our church, well, folks, you have been very, very good in your generous giving to the Lord's work. And may God continue to bless you and to bless and use our tithes and offerings wisely that the board and uh, the elders would have the wisdom and direction from the Lord as to how these funds are to be distributed. Let's sing to the Lord's praise again, number 177. 177, before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We'll stand to sing.
Praise the Lord. I'd like you to turn, please, in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 17. While you're turning up there, I had a very encouraging call from Brother Kevin McLeod, Reverend McLeod. Uh, we, of course, have been praying for our brother. He reminded me that it was three and a half years ago that he suffered from that debilitating stroke, and it led to his retirement from his preaching full-time from Risharkin Free Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland. Now, he has moved down to a different location along with, uh, to be with the rest of his family, he and his wife, but he's doing very, very well. He said that it has been a long road, a hard road, but the Lord has given to him incremental improvement, and so he is able to preach the Word again a couple of times a month to fill in different pulpits, and he has been ministering in song also and able to share his testimony. So these are encouraging things, and we're very thankful for the Lord's hand upon his servant. Do remember our brother, please, in your prayer. Returning to John's Gospel, chapter 17, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy word. Now, they have known that all things whatsoever Thou hast given me are of Thee. For I have given unto them the words which Thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from Thee, and they have believed that Thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me, they are Thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Let's bow, please, for prayer.
Our Father, as we step once more into this very solemn and sacred portion of Your Word, of the prayer of our Lord and Savior, we ask that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding and we would be helped. We would be directed and taken forward that, Lord, we would glorify our Savior in the study of Him, in the study of His Word, in the study of His prayer. And so, Lord, hear us today. Help me, I pray, to speak as the Lord's messenger in the Word and message of God. So bless, we pray, in salvation this morning for any in our gathering, any online that do not know, that have not tasted of the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. Lord, bless them today, I pray. Hear our prayers. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I want to turn your attention, please, to the last phrase of verse 11, where Jesus said that they may be one as we are. That they may be one as we are. Unity in Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the church. That is the aim of every single Christian. Our Lord's Prayer in John 17, it gives us a view of the Savior's high priestly communion as He set forward His petitions to His Father to glorify His name through the plan, the everlasting and eternal plan of saving sinners. This is the very heart of this prayer. Saving a corrupted, rebellious humanity who is in the mind and heart of God from all eternity. Knowing the true God is the, is the very heart or essence of everlasting life. In our unsaved days, we did not know God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were blinded to spiritual truth and light. But when the Spirit of God opened our eyes and we beheld who Christ really is by faith, then we embraced Him, we took Him to ourselves, and we were brought into fellowship with Him. And our Lord made it very clear in His great intercessory work. He focused on praying for His redeemed children, the ones given to Him by the Father from before the foundation of the world. And in praying for them, He would not be praying 
for the world. Today, as we look at verse 11 and the very specific prayer that our Lord made for the solidarity of the church, that they may be one as we are one. And as we consider this today, let us learn and apply the lessons presented to us that we would strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thought I leave with you this morning is this. It is very clear that Christ desires the unity of His people. Our Lord had just stated that He did not pray for the world, but for them which had been given Him by the Father, and He declared the joint possession, the possession of the Father, the possession that He had Himself, and He declared that heritage of these believers given to Him by the Father, and all of them belonged to God, and all of them belonged to the Son. And as a result of this joint possession, the Lord Jesus prays that His Father would keep them. Now, don't miss that. That the Father would keep them through His own name, and that they would be one, a unified body in heart, mind, impulse, goal, and all summed up in bringing glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, our Lord, He desires the unity of those who have called on His name and that are called by His name. And so today, you have received the Lord as your Savior. You've called upon Him. You are born again of the Spirit. Then you are called by the name of Jesus as a result of calling on His name. And so by faith, we are brought into the family of the Lord. And by faith, we are unified with our Lord Jesus Christ. But what does this look like when we are confronted with a multitude of denominations and of groups, large and small, that seem to be all marching to their own drum, going in sometimes many different directions? How can we explain the many factions of self-declared Christians with their own confessions and creeds, positions, doctrines, distinctives, some very close in teaching and thinking, and others sadly very far apart, some of them claiming to be the only true church, as Rome does, and others so isolated and separate that there is no cooperation with any other Christians of any dimension. How does all this work out when confronted with 
this prayer of our Lord Jesus for the unity of the body. Perhaps the only way to answer this, the evident reality of disunity that we see, is to conclude that whatever man is involved with on this side of heaven will be infected by sinful behavior and that the biblical ideal will only be practically seen and partially seen this side of heaven. But it's there and it's real in this earth because our Lord Jesus desired it and He prayed for it. And therefore, the prayer that Jesus prayed is a prayer that is effectual. It will and is being answered. So if the Lord Jesus desires unity among His church, then we can also conclude that the devil is working hard to oppose that unity. That makes sense to us because we know the devil has been at odds and at warfare with everything that God has purposed and planned, everything God called good, well, we know what Satan tries to do. He takes evil and he turns it against good. He tries to present darkness in opposition to light, lies against truth, and deception against honesty. It can all be seen in the visible, public entities that call themselves the Christian church. Yes, all of those things are evident because the devil is opposed to what Jesus prayed. Satan is going hard against every step that is taken for unity to try to disrupt and turn it upside down. But in order for us to understand why there are so many denominations or groups that make up the Christian church, we must see that God has always called out a faithful remnant to follow His Word in every generation, in every time of church history. It's a cycle of purification that will continue until the very end, until our Lord Jesus returns back to this world again, and all human history is concluded. And every believer has been brought into the kingdom, and the Lord establishes His everlasting kingdom at that time. There will be conflict up to that point. There will be opposition. There will be disunity. We have noticed it in the Bible from national Israel, the time when God called them out of Egypt. And there was a mixed multitude. What does that mean? Well, there were those who genuinely followed God at that time, who genuinely feared the Lord, but there were also those who were just false Israelites. They were false Jews. They were not genuinely those who followed God by faith. And so Moses makes it clear in the writings that we have in Exodus 
that this mixed multitude, well, it caused a great deal of difficulty for the church that was there manifested in Israel at that time. What about those who, in the days of Elijah, who he himself felt that he was the only one standing against all the prophets of Baal and all of the idolatry that was going on in Israel at that time. But no, the Lord had a number, but only 7,000. Well, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But of all the people of Israel, of all the inhabitants of the land, there were only 7,000, but Elijah didn't know any of them. He said he was the only one. But God knew His people, and He knew He had a remnant even in the apostasy and the great compromise of Israel at that time with Ahab and Jezebel and all of those who went down that road of worshiping those false gods. During the time of our Lord Jesus on earth, it was a very small group that He had around Him, the disciples and those followers. They could almost be numbered on a hand or two and a few feet. There were not many of them. And even as you progress into the book of Acts and the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, a relatively small number as that despised group were scattered and went out to preach the gospel, churches were formed, but they were small groups, household churches. They were small bodies of people, but they were faithful to God and His Word. They were the ones who were the result of Christ's prayer that they may be one. But it was a small remnant at that time. And then you move forward a little bit in church history to the days of Constantine, emperor, in the year 300. Persecution had really been so rampant throughout all the empire and against Christians. Many of them had been mercilessly troubled, persecuted, and murdered for their faith. But Constantine legalized Christianity in his time. And so it became a public acceptable thing. And those people who were, well, they saw perhaps an advantage then to join the church because there was promotion publicly and civilly, but they were not the real Christian church. And so even at that time, there was a small remnant of people who faithfully followed the Lord and went on to serve Him. What about days during the days of the Roman Empire that lasted even another couple of hundred years past Constantine to 500? But during that time period, papal Rome grew to ascendancy. And at that time, people were called by the name of Christ. But were they faithful followers of the Lord? No. And the Lord raised up at those times during the Dark Ages. You had the Waldensians in northern Italy. They were faithful followers of the Lord, a small remnant. And then you move into the days of, well, John Wycliffe, the man who is accredited with first publishing an English Bible in 1380. The followers of Wycliffe were known as lollards. They went out two by two to preach the gospel in order to spread the message of truth and see the gospel 
going forward, but they were a small number. And then you had John Huss, who was put to death for his faith, and the Hussites that followed after him. Come to the Reformation, you have Martin Luther and the great stand that he took and how God raised him up to begin the Protestant Reformation, a coming back to the truth of God's Word from all of the darkness of Romanism over hundreds, nearly thousands of years. And what started at that time from the Protestant Reformation was really the development of denominations as we have them today. And so they were Lutherans in Germany. They were the Swiss Reformers under Zwingli in Geneva and those countries surrounding there. Baptists grew up. Mennonites developed. And others, each of these groups being named by either the prominent leader that started that group because of the emphasis on one particular doctrine or teaching, and other ones, they came up around a doctrine or a principle. And oftentimes, as historians have noted, that God providentially allowed denominations to form, and it may well be to decentralize Christianity from the sense it would not be a Protestant papacy. Whether that is the case or not, the evidence of church history is clear that all of these groups formed and developed after the Reformation. But still, we are faced with many groups making up the visible, outward Christian church that are often far away from being united in body that Jesus prayed for. Brothers and sisters, perhaps the, one of the only ways we can fully understand this or begin to understand it is to be found in the invisible church and body of Jesus Because the visible church, it would be described as those denominations or groups we've been talking about. They don't necessarily have to have a denominational name, but perhaps they are following a particular teaching, doctrine, and that gravitates those people around a group, and they go forward in their ministry. And they seem to become tagged with that particular name because it's an emphasis on that particular teaching. And though there are many of those types of groups, that represents the visible body of Christianity. And just like the Israel of the Old Testament, there was a mixture of the mixed multitude gathered in, so there will be in every generation in the visible church a mixture of true and false. It's what our Lord Jesus used in the parable of the wheat and the tares. He said, an enemy hath done this to sow the tares among the wheat. And the disciples said, well, shall we go and pull up the tares? He said, no, not until the harvest has come, because in pulling up the tares you might damage the wheat. And so he said, no, they will grow together until the end. And that is by the providential purpose of the Lord that in the visible church of Christ there will never be unity as Christ was praying for that unity, 
because the only true unity there can be is the unity in the invisible church. What does that mean? It means, dear friends, those who are truly the children of God, who truly are born again of the Spirit of the Lord, who are found in many different denominations. And that is where we will look to see the answer to the prayer and the desire of our Lord Jesus. It's not in any one body that it will be isolated, but it's going to be found in in different groups that are endeavoring to be faithful to God's holy Word. Those who believe in the Bible, and I, I don't just mean those who say, oh yeah, yeah, the Bible's God's Word, and they open it and then they close it and go on and operate their church or their ministry, completely ignoring the Scriptures and the direction that the Word has, gives us for how we are to mold the church and build it. No, it's those who are faithful to God's Holy Word as the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of the living God. And that is at the very basis of what defines a true body of believers. And I know that in the midst of compromise and some confusion and perhaps a not full development of understanding the truth, there are going to be Christians that can be sprinkled in some of these places until the Spirit of God, by His conviction and light, begins to draw them out, out of compromise and apostasy. Because in the book of Revelation, we are told the Lord calls His people, come out of her, my people. Great apostasy. Babylon mystery the great. And God has a people scattered far and wide. What a sad reality it is that even among those who best according to their conscience and by conviction and by wanting to faithfully follow God's Word and see the fulfillment of Christ's prayer here, yet still the sad reality and the devastating outcome is the disunity of believers because before the world it's a very bad testimony. Bickering, jealousy, strife, envy, pride. Or as J.C. Ryle said, the church has been weakened and paralyzed by internal quarrels and divisions. And all of this among those who profess to know Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have to say today it's not of God. It's not of the Spirit of Christ. We know that in every group of professed Christians, there are going to be imposters, either self-deceived people or those who are intentionally going about the purpose of deception. And this is evidence of a very broken humanity. Living in this present evil world, And yet through all this, our Savior's prayer will not go unanswered. We sang this morning our opening hymn, The Church's One Foundation. Verse 2 reads this, 
elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, and one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and strive to see her fail, against both foe and traitor she ever shall prevail. And verse 4 is actually left out of many hymnals. Though with a scornful wonder the world sees her oppressed by schisms, by divisions rent asunder and heresies distressed. Yet saints, their watch are keeping, their cry goes up, how long? And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Yes, brothers and sisters, this is a broken world. And as we are involved in a broken society. This comes into the church, doesn't it? And yet, the invisible body of those who truly are saved by the grace of God, we are marching forward and onward in that great cause and with that purpose. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us to seek how we might foster that unity and to pray that God will enable us. What are we doing to encourage this in our own congregation, in our own fellowship, in our own denomination, and then beyond that to those who we know are true brothers and sisters in Christ? We're not to allow petty matters to infect and to spoil the unity. Let us strive against each other on matters, let us never strive, rather, on matters that are not core to the gospel and to the unity. We are called to strive to keep, to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. This our Lord desires. And if we have the heart of Jesus then that's going to be in us as well. And it's going to mean ourselves at times to set aside our personal issues, set aside some of our, well, things that we might hold on to ourselves. But the Bible does not make it fundamentally clear as a primary gospel issue. It may well be a secondary gospel issue. And we have to be very careful that we are also not being a hindrance to this. But I want you to notice in the second place today the very high standard of this unity. For our Lord Jesus prays that they may be one as we are. He is praying to His Father as we are. There is perfect and absolute and unbroken unity between the Father and the Son. Such harmony of thought, 
of will, of mind, of motive, of desire, of outcome. It cannot be fully understood by a limited comprehension. But there it is, the eternal union of the Holy Trinity expressed with such profound simplicity in these words, as we are. This is not just a high standard. It is an impossible summit for us to reach. And there it is, given by our Lord, His prayer for His people, that we would not only be like Him, but we would mirror the same togetherness of the Father and the Son. How could this be? J.C. Ryle said, it is the highest model and pattern of unity. The unity of the Father and the Son. Of course, there cannot be literally such union between Christian and Christian as there is between the two persons of the Trinity, but the unity which Jesus prays the disciples may aim at should be a close, intimate, unbroken unity of mind and will and opinion and feeling. And another commentator, George Hutchison, and I recommend to you this commentary he wrote on the Gospel of John. He said this, this union as being incomprehensible, that is, between the Father and the Son, will in some measure resemble it, the unity that Jesus is praying for among His people. And it will in some measure resemble it. It will look heaven-like, one in nature, in judgment, will, and operation, as the Father and the Son are, and partly of the sweet experiences of holiness, of truth, and of righteousness, as the Father and the Son do eternally delight in each other. Yes, at the very heart of what these two commentators are stating, that the unity that the Father and the Son have, for us to accomplish that perfectly, it will be impossible on this earth. But why did the Lord state it? He stated it because this is a goal to be aimed at. We are to look at the heaven-likeness of this and pray that into our own human experiences. How, how are we doing? How, how are we doing as a body of believers? Are there not times where we have to admit that things rise up in our minds, they come across our, our lives, and we get so bent out of joint, out of shape about it, because it's been an offense to us personally, because we've been injured, someone's said something or looked at us a funny way, and we have taken it, and we have run with it to an assumption that was altogether erroneous many times, no, we have to be guarded, brothers and sisters. We have to be very careful because the unity that is being expressed here 
as we are. It's a unity that Jesus had with His Father, a unity of purpose. From eternity, the unified purpose in the Godhead has not wavered. It has not diminished. What pleases the Father is the goal of the Son. And what honors the Son brings pleasure to the Father. And what glorifies the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, is totally engaged in fulfilling. There is a unity of purpose in the Godhead. And when believers of different baptismal position, eschatological, the end times, governmental church structures, and all of these different stripes, when they view, when we view, the greater purpose of the glory of God in biblical faithfulness and doctrinal purity, then there is a unity of fellowship that is very, very sweet because it is Christ-like. Yes, we have our different views on secondary gospel matters. But the person of Christ and His work of the atonement on the cross and the call to separation from apostasy and compromise, there is solidarity based upon God's revealed Word. And that is a very, very precious thing. But in the Godhead, there is a unity of honor and of esteem and respect. Of course there is. For the Father honors the Son. The Son has esteem for the Father and the respect of the Spirit and the Father and the Son to each other. The perfect harmony between Jesus and His Father and the Spirit is never strained. It's never a point where someone has to say, well, I guess I'm going to have to give on this one. It's never questioned. It is perfect, unbroken, and eternal. And we are, as His children, are to follow this pattern in our relationship with fellow believers. Is this a hard thing? It is an impossible thing, my dear friends. I will tell you it's an impossible thing for us to accomplish by ourselves. We cannot do this of our own flesh. We need supernatural help to do this. And that is why Jesus prayed, Father, keep them. Keep them. Because they cannot keep themselves. And we must be kept. And as the prayer of our Lord Jesus is fulfilled, we are called to example that unity of honor, of esteem, of respect. And it's got to be a pattern seen in the relationship that we have with each other. Now, we're in a local fellowship. We are the ones who see each other and interact with each other each week. 
Now, you also will interact with other believers outside and the ways God has taken you and maybe in your workplace. Perhaps it's going to be in our school ministry where there's much interaction with other believers of like precious faith. And this pattern is very precious. And what are we called to do? We are called, let each esteem others better than themselves. And so the unity that there is in the Godhead is the Son who esteems and respects and loves His Father. And it's the Father who pours out His honor upon His Son and who loves Him. And the Spirit that works intricately with all aspects of the Trinity. And so you and I are to esteem others better than ourselves. There is a unity in the Godhead in love. That doesn't even have to be stated. For you as a believer know that. The love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Spirit, and the Spirit for the Father and the Son. That love is reciprocal. And that unbroken love that flows within the Trinity can only be talked about by man, but will not be comprehended. And yet this love of God has been poured out to men, been poured out to us in the saving relationship that we have with our Father, in the evidence that God so loved us that He sent His Son. And that love that we have, we have received that love from our Father in heaven. And He has told us that as that love has been freely distributed by Christ, bringing many sons to glory. He has commanded that to be a central part of our operation as His church. Love must be in the first place, not in the third or fourth place. And of course, when we are speaking about our love, our love is responsive to God in the first Because He has loved us, we love Him. Because He has revealed His love to us, we love the expressions of that given to us through His Word. And we want to be faithful in our love and honoring of Him in the first place. And that love will then be seen and worked out one to another. And didn't our Lord say, By this shall all men know that ye are My disciples? It's a very high standard, and we are in need of the Lord enabling us and helping us to keep that. A third thought is, from this today, what about the causes of disunity? We've already thought about a broken world, and we cannot expect things will always be unified and successful. There will be problems. That's a reality. That's life. Among the causes for disunity among Christians, some of them are unnecessary and some of them are necessary. The unnecessary ones, it's been a a very sad testimony to the world. It's been one of the blots on the visible Christian church. It's like a bag of dirty laundry that's been publicly paraded to the shame of Christians and a dishonor to our Lord. The body of Christ is made up of many, many members, and we are not to 
intentionally cut off another member of the body because of some petty disagreement or some unimportant difference. Now, what often divides us is our pride and ignorance or a spirit that we somehow think that we are better than someone else. Granted, we know that there are differences that the Spirit has led us to, those convictions. They're often initiated in history because of a stand against some apostasy or false teaching, or maybe it's been just an outgrowth of a church in that particular age that is emphasizing some doctrinal truth. And so a tag is followed by that group, be they Presbyterian or something else. We have to be very careful to take heed. If we think that we are going to stand and others will not, be careful when we make charges against folks because we may be the ones who end up with egg on our face. So we have to be mindful and watchful of that. Oh, there are lots of examples of unnecessary division that's happened in disunity. There can be personal preferences, interior design and color. It's a sad reality. The churches have split apart because they couldn't agree on the color of the carpet for the new sanctuary. That's a fact. Paint colors in churches, how things are going to be decorated. A lot of these things can cause, because people have their personal preferences, and it comes down to my will against your will, and how are we going to make this work? What about positions that we have come through recently on vaccine mandates? Those are, that's a hot-button topic. Some people have very strong positions on why you should or why you shouldn't be vaccinated. And we have come through that as a congregation. Should you mask up or should you not mask? Should you follow the government directions on this or not? And so a lot of these issues, you have to, and we have to, carefully navigate through them. Always careful that we do not want to injure the body of Christ by unnecessary conflict. Let's be careful about that. What about political views? That's another hard one, isn't it? There are churches that have split apart because some part of the congregation votes for that party or that person and some other people vote for somebody else and it causes great con conflict. And another one is programs in the church. There aren't enough programs. There are too many programs. There's not enough for children. There's not enough for seniors. And on and on it goes. And a person comes along and says, well, this church is no good for my family because I want to have more programs for my children. And therefore, they go searching out a place where there's, it's going to satisfy them in a, a temporary fix. A lot of those problems, they arise when people lose focus, when we lose focus about the centrality of the issue and of the person of Christ and His Word and the building of the kingdom of the Lord and going forward to see the bigger picture. And these things, my dear friends, are so much more important. And there are necessary divisions that take place. Let's not discount that. There are some legitimate things for breaking unity in a church or a group, 
because to keep biblical unity and to see the fulfilling of Christ's prayer, doctrinal error and unbiblical practices cannot be tolerated. And that's where we must judge carefully, doctrinally, biblically, when it is necessary to separate and to break unity. To attempt to continue in such compromise, it dishonors the Lord. And some people think, well, I'm going to stay in that body or that church or that denomination because I just want to be a a light on the inside. And there's to a degree reasonableness in that. But when a church has gone so far down the road of apostasy and compromise, that light will be extinguished. And the Lord says, come out of her, my people. There is a time for biblical separation and a time to weigh that up. In this, we must hold to the Word of God and pray for guidance of the Spirit of God and not make a prejudiced or biased decision, but wait upon the Lord, be guided by His Word and by the light and the Holy Spirit. And remember, friends, that in all of this, we need much grace and how these matters are handled because so often an act out of ignorance or spiritual immaturity. And we, we have seen the devastation of that. And we have to be very careful because so often a good cause that we have can be damaged by a bad spirit. All oh, these causes of disunity, the necessary ones and the unnecessary ones, let's be sure that we never fall prey to those unnecessary divisions, and that we ask the Lord for great wisdom and great understanding in all of these ways. I I finish with this. Number four, the certain answer to Christ's prayer. Let us be firmly convinced that whatever our Lord Jesus prayed for, it will be answered. There is not one prayer that He prayed that will go unanswered. Make that very clear. He has the mind of the Father, and the Father always hears and answers the petition of His Son. And this gives us hope that though there are indicators of disunity in the visible church, the body of Christ, the invisible church, is one in hope and doctrine and one in charity. And therefore, let us strive to keep that unity in the Spirit, in the bond of peace. And all the glory and honor will be to our our Heavenly Father. At the end of it all, as I said before, we have to be kept in this. Because we cannot keep ourselves. It's not by our own power, intellect, organizational skills. Yes, I know the Lord has given us those things, and we are to use them But ultimately, the victory in this warfare is going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this comment by George Hutchison. He said, unless God keep them near Him and free from the evils of the world, their union within the church will break and their being overpowered with flesh will break out in the bitter fruits of strife and division. Therefore, saith he, Holy Father, keep them 
that they may be one as we are. Brothers and sisters, let us do our part before the Lord in this. Let us be all earnest in prayer that we will be malleable, that our spirits will be formable by His Spirit, and that we will have the mind of Christ in this and to preserve the precious unity that God has given to us. But what about you today, friend, if you're not a believer? You're not in Christ today. You don't know the unity that we're talking about. I pray that you would come to taste and see of the goodness of the Lord Jesus and that you will know Him as your Lord and your Savior. As you will not delay, don't put off, don't say, yeah, some other day. No, now is the time that God has given you. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation where you're seated right now. Here or at home, you can call on the Lord and you can repent of your sin. And He will hear that prayer and He will save you. And I pray that will be your case today. We're going to close our service this morning by singing a hymn that is not in our hymnal, but it focuses around the the theme of what we've been thinking about this morning. It's a familiar tune, and we'll stand as we sing these words. This truth, this text of Scripture, this prayer of our Lord Jesus, that we would take it to our hearts, make it our own prayer, and that we would endeavor, Lord, purpose in our operation one with another, purpose by our attitude, purpose by our love that You have given to us, that others will know that we are Your disciples because we love one another. So, Father, part us now
in your fear, mighty and rich blessing, and bring us back again to the house of God tonight. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.